Birkenholt, and you're listening to the first ARC Audio Book Club of 2019. And this month we'll be discussing Otessa Moshfeg's second novel, My Year of Rest and Relaxation. The novel tells the story of a young woman who's um, conventionally attractive in an all-American kind of way, who was recently orphaned by incredibly wealthy parents. She's been working in an art gallery for the past couple of years, uh, seems to have a very desirable life, and yet is uh, chronically tired, the sense of ennui that is just making it impossible for her to start any day. So, to avoid this, or to try and reset the clock, she's decided to retreat from her life for a year, something facilitated by the size of her inheritance. She, with the help of her psychiatrist, Dr. Tuttle, uh, she manages to game out the system to get as many as, as many powerful sleeping drugs as possible. And with the help of a friend she kind of hates called Reva, who is a mess, she um, gets uh, the social contact necessary to make a novel have a kind of back and forth dialogue-y scenes that uh, would be impossible otherwise. Um, she seems to want to be uh, as far away as she can from her own consciousness, though doesn't particularly want to die. <laughs> though at moments it seems like uh, she wouldn't be sued first either way. As she has ever stronger medication, uh, it causes her to black out and apparently live her life to the full on the streets, which presents problems but also opportunities. Uh, the novel takes place in, New in the New York of the year 2000 um, and is constantly foreshadowed by a uh, impending sense of 9-11. And with me to discuss the book are Eva West. Hello. And Shivana Alessandra. Hello. And I already introduced myself. So, I'm going to start off with a um, thematic question about this, uh, this, this, this 2018 novel. Can we maybe just say that we were supposed to be four people, and it's so much easier when you are four people, but Joe just got sick. Yeah. Like six minutes ago. And we can't wait to meet him. Yeah, we can't wait to meet him. <laughs> Fuck you, Joe. <laughs> Just kidding, we miss you. <laughs> um, yeah, so my first question is, is this, is this a, a premise to which you can relate? Because for me, this is kind of uncomfortable reading because I don't like that constant space between waking and sleep that this book like sort of communicates as being the kind of constant um, feeling of the, uh, of the protagonist. I think I missed the question. What can I relate to? Can you relate to this, uh, this desire to uh, retreat into a, a year of sleep? Yes and no. Good, that's an interesting answer. We can take it from there. I mean, I have to say firmly yes. I feel like if they, like, if we could hibernate, you know, the way animals did, and there was like two months a year where everybody just agreed to sleep, that would I'd be super down for that. This was very relatable. So she's made some relatable content. And that's <laughs> but doesn't this also work on the premise of this is everyone's fantasy, right? Like, oh, mm. if I could just stay in bed. But no one, like when you read the book, you don't want to do what she's doing. It doesn't really sound nice mm. when you get like the, when you read about what's necessary to, mm. yeah, the fulfill this fantasy. The, des the description of like muscles kind of becoming weaker and weaker and weaker. Yeah. And, like, waking up with the sort of coating on the tongue all the time. and the, mm. the way she describes the boxes of Chinese food that she finds when she wakes up is probably the most disturbing thing I've read <laughs> in a while, and it's supposed mm. to be about food. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, so okay, so it is definitely tapping into something that's like widely desired or widely thought to be wanted, mm. and then... But, it's, but at the same time, I think this is a, it's a kind of a romance, it's got a certain romance to it, the, like the structure of the book. Mm. And this is where we get some spoilers driving mm. the elf because, you know, when she does manage to uh, get a good solid four months in without any interruption, or like minimal interruption. 
But isn't it also something that people say, like, I want to sleep for a year? It's something I say. Mm. Mm. Mostly it's more than a year, right? right? <laughs> like, I just, yeah. But and it's like she's crafted this novel from just overhearing someone say that, like, to a friend at a cafe or whatever, mm. you know, I'm so tired, I'm going to go to sleep for a year now. Mm. And then, okay, challenge accepted. <laughs> Let's write this book. What happens when yeah. you try to do this? But do you think, like, that she, even though it's definitely... Like, there's a balance between the romanticizing of it and the complete, like, de-romanticizing of it. That it's, like, both disgusting and super desirable. Like, I don't feel that she's makes it unappealing, though. No. Yeah, she doesn't. But isn't that... Yeah, but the descriptions as well, she keeps telling us that she's so good looking and even at her worst she still like shines in this like new profession that she has and all this like luxury brands of clothes that she's wearing and like she's doing it in this apartment in Manhattan Upper West Side and I mean this is the way to do it right if you have to go to sleep for a year do it like that don't do it in your like moisty loft chamber in in Northwest where I live like do it in Manhattan Mm. Maybe. Um, I think also the character Reva definitely functions to make you feel that what the protagonist, we should say, is nameless. So it's kind of difficult to refer to her. But um, basically, she has this friend Reva who keeps coming over and you can tell they've been friends um, since, is it like university or something like that? Um, But they don't really seem to have anything in common anymore. And Reva seems more like an irritant than anything else. But she insists on coming over and... She's like uh, this bulimic and really like self-obsessed and kind of cliche or I guess she seems like a cliche person, but we have to keep in mind that we see her through the eyes of the protagonist who is profoundly irritated by everything, not just by this um, friend. But um, yeah, she kind of comes in and, and talks about, you know, oh, you need to like, she only speaks in cliches, basically. Mm, you need mm. to get up and chase your dreams. And, um, <laughs> and she's pretty insufferable in that sense that she, she kind of sounds like all of those like self-love, self-care mm. um, guides that are uh, proliferating on the internet right now. And, um, and I think that like her irritation with Reva is really relatable and that makes her more... I want to say sympathetic, but maybe not. Maybe just that you find her, like, her mission seems more reasonable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's like, Reva's like a, a stand-in for all the world that she's getting away from of chasing um, kind of shallow success within a bunch of, like, superficial um, superficial career paths that are available to make enough money to, what, move out of the city and go to the suburbs and, like, drink yourself to death like her mother did. Right. Um <laughs> Yeah, so I, I, I also I guess the the weird thing with her relationship with with Reva is that or Reva or Reva, I would say Reva, but I don't know. Reva's too like I think she I think Reva would want to pronounce her name Reva. Mm. All right, all right, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I concede. Yeah, she um, so in, in her uh, interpretation of her uh, friendship, she thinks that uh, Reva thinks that um, the nameless protagonist is the kind of ideal that she's skinny and blonde and attractive and but, I mean, tall. And- speaking of Riva and how she's the cliche of like motivational quotes and has bulimia and blah, blah, blah. Um, but I mean, so is the narrator, right? She's yeah. just like, she keeps on like repeating cliche after cliche, but like in this more like dark and gothic yeah. and pessimistic way, she will say stuff like, 
being pretty only kept me trapped in a world that valued looks above all else. <laughs> and But living uptown had infected me with its own virus when I first moved here. And yeah, she's more yeah. dark and mysterious, but yet pretty, 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 pretty. And yeah. she doesn't like... You can't read two pages without yeah. her telling us that she's just gorgeous and blonde and yeah. tall yeah. and skinny. Yeah. Yeah. Like even though like um, the, the the months of sleep had caused her body to become very strange and skinny, she's like, "But I still look good with clothes on." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, yeah, I think it's um, it is an interesting thing because I think the, the the position of this whole project is one entirely facilitated by how much money she has. Mm. I think, I think there's something simultaneously um, sympathetic about the position of the protagonist and sympathetic about the mission to want to reset yourself and be free of like uh, particular interpretations of yourself. But that's like only if you can buy it. So it's kind of, it's a very odd, it's a very odd thing because it's like, well, sure, you had maybe unpleasant parents, but I don't really know because I don't trust your descriptions of anything. Um, and maybe, yeah, it's really it really sucks that they died and uh, you don't really know what to do in New York. But I, I guess good luck with your sleeping months. <clears throat> it, <it's laughs> mm. um, what do you think, um, just to like totally cut to the spoilers, what did you guys think of the ending? Because I think that it, like, it really changed the whole thing mm. for me in that I was much more sympathetic to her until the ending happened and I was kind of like... I w you know, I think the novel is set up in a way that you assume that this um, idea she has to kind of knock herself out with mm. pills for a year is like a really bad idea. Mm. Um, even if, like you say, like you, it's this idea that you're fulfilling a fantasy, but you're thinking, okay, this is not going to change anything. Like you're not going to grow from this. The world is still going to be yeah. the same. Yeah. Um, this is kind of, you know, there has to be something else that's going to change the arc of this character and make her have some sort of self-realization. And then... Um, it works. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, there's this whole process around it, and we can talk about that too, but she kind of wakes up in, like, a yoga pose. <laughs> like, this kind yeah. of enlightened monk and just, like, goes outside and literally feeds, like, squirrels from her hand. <laughs> yeah. mm. Yeah. Um, like a Disney princess, which, you know, is also maybe part of the satire, yeah. but it seems very strange to me that it works. But I think that's... I think yeah, that, I think that, that, because it does work, yeah. right? Yeah. I accepted it. I didn't go, no, no like, I, can't have a happy ending. It just, it seemed appropriate somehow. I think it speaks <laughs> to my point, though. I think, like, everything works if you can pay for it. Mm. Like, if you can pay for the medication, you can pay for a conceptual artist to manage it for you, and you can pay your rent... And you can pay for all the supplies you're going to need and you can pay for your rehabilitation after that and the restocking of your house afterwards after you've cleared everything out. If you can pay for it, you can facilitate wellness. Like wellness is a thing that people can buy. Mm -hmm. Like maybe like if she was like because she was so cluttered by what her like wealth meant and its connection to a particular like way of living in the world and way of um, and like history of her own like life then it was like burdening her and like she cut off that, but she like, re she kept access to resources. But yeah, I mean, I think also the project is, has that vibe of, um, of the yoga retreat, not just because she wakes up in the end all cross-legged and, and monk-like, but the idea of, you know, f like social media detox and turn off your phone and 
um, go away and meditate and you will feel so much better. And I feel like I'm not sure if this is just some sort of twisted version of exactly that or if she's actually making fun of that idea. I think, but I think that's the thing is like the idea is that it's actually impossible. And if you can facilitate the impossible, then sure. Right. Mm -hmm. Like it is impossible to get the time in your life to do this thing of sleeping for a year. Mm -hmm. If you can do it, it helps, but it doesn't matter. Because you can't do it. <clears throat> well, um, I don't know if she seems to be like literally suggesting that if you did this. No, yeah, no, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I mean, like, you can always get, you can always get stuff to make you feel better. If you can just get stuff. Like mm. they facilitated this absurd project that is, yeah. Um, and also maybe it's because it, even like it just completed her own sense of a journey right I mean in terms of the money I think like of course there's a lot of her talking about um her wealth in terms of the beautiful clothes that she has and and the fancy apartment she lives in and the types of people who live there and how um I mean beauty is obviously also very related to economics as well but I kind of like my initial reading of the book was a kind of almost like anti- capitalist um project where this no, but that's what i mean that's why i think it works that it works because it's ridiculous right so you can only be anti-capitalist if you have a lot of money oh yeah i don't think her proper pro i don't i don't think the narrator's project is anti-capitalist i think the book is relatively anti-capitalist like like capitalist critical right like it's not like, because it's like the character is you know she doesn't she doesn't like burn her passport like when the when uh ping well, wants her to and she doesn't like she doesn't give up privilege she gives away all her stuff though but she buys more stuff like it doesn't matter <laughs> <laughs> well, we don't true. know that yeah we just assume that she will because no, she, she goes, she goes, to, the, goes to the thrift store and buys the thing then she buys a vcr she's gonna buy a vcr at best buy when um but before her hibernation she gives all her clothes to riva and she gives all her furnitures to a thrift shop right yeah we don't know if she replaces it. She, she, no, she does. She goes to a thrift shop and buys a bunch of stuff. Not she doesn't buy the same stuff, but she like she can furnish her home again yeah. if, after she gets rid of it all. Yeah, I sure. mean, yeah, this is a lot easier to her than it would be to like a single mom of four. But that is not really the project, is it? Um, no, but I think that's the thing. Is like it, the absurdity of mm -hmm. like the idea that one can become cleansed yeah. by sleeping for a year. It's like sure you can buy anything you want. Mm. Okay, yeah, yeah, I get it. Yeah. Can you buy anything you want? That's the thing, because you can't buy Reva's friendship after 9-11. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> Uncalled for. I have in my notes justice for Reva. I did not think it was cool that she died in 9-11. Yeah, I, I think it, I have a really ambivalent feeling about that last page. Yeah, and the she does get the death that our narrator wants for herself. She maybe not wants it right now, but that's what she says. Like early on, mm. uh, when you die of hypothermia, you mm. get cold and sleepy, you don't feel a thing. That sounded nice. That was the best way to die, mm. awake and feeling nothing. And then she says something like, I wouldn't die like my father did, passive and quiet while the cancer ate him. Mm. And then on the, ate him alive. And then that, 
that last page, she says, there she is, a human being diving into the unknown and she's wide awake. Like this woman hasn't right. been because she's been sleeping for mm. a year uh, mm. into the unknown, yeah. being reborn. Yeah. I think that speaks to um, what I think is quite a strong theme in the book. Is it like throughout the entire thing, um, the narrator is basically a nihilist or like is living within a nihilistic culture and that really troubles her. Mm. And, mm. and so in the first, in the first, like, you know, she's, she didn't, her, her lack of connection to her parents and the world they had created um, meant that she didn't like respect them or think of them as a structuring, like there wasn't no like um, conventional uh, family structure thing that was to be mm. upheld and then upheld or there, and there was no, um, there was no, uh, God's obviously long dead and um, the, the Cold War is over, it's the 90s. That's like what's really interesting about the book is it's the continuation of the 90s into the year 2000. And you know, she can work in an art gallery, but all the artists are vacuous and meaningless and they don't do anything. And she just wants to something to mean something because she's thinking of herself as this intelligent person who could do something, mm. but doesn't know how to do anything and uh, has every advantage to possibly do something, but doesn't can't figure out what to do. And then I think this notion that one would like choose, yeah, choose to jump off rather than fall down with the building mm-hmm. is like a very problematic depiction of a kind of a stronger nihilism where it's like, no, even in the face of complete oblivion and meaninglessness, I will um, I will make a choice, I will act. <clears throat> yeah, because yeah. the narrator's choice is negative, right? So yeah. she, like, she keeps doing stuff, she keeps mm. making this choice, but it's negative, like it's yeah. to do nothing. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And she's very set on that. Yeah. But then after she wakes up, after the, 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 the towards the end, mm. she can now do things again. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. As if she can insist against oblivion of <laughs> the absurd. absurd. Which brings us right on to Whoopi Goldberg. <laughs> yeah, what's up with that? Because Whoopi Goldberg has, like, she has a part in this book. She's yeah. one of the characters. Yeah. And I didn't get that because I don't get Whoopi Goldberg references because I haven't seen her movies. I did that thing of, like, accidental association um, where Dr. Tuttle was Whoopi Goldberg <laughs> in my mind oh, the whole means, time. That's the casting. Yeah, for the, for the film that does work though. Yeah, 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 it yeah. worked very well, yeah. actually. Um, it just happened, <laughs> and then it couldn't be unthought. Um, so she watches a lot of VHS tapes in the few hours she's awake each day, like a koala, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and many of them star Whoopi Goldberg, who she describes, I think, as like her, like her god, hero. Like hero yeah, like her main, her mm-hmm. t- yeah, her touchstone that really represents. Um, I guess the, the 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 challenge against the absurd, because as she is quite right to point out, like the put like the kind of persona of Whoopi Goldberg sort of overdetermines every film she's in. Like when um, uh, what's her name um, Demi Moore goes to visit her psychic in Ghost, and it's Whoopi Goldberg that breaks the film because now Whoopi Goldberg is there. It's not the character; she's not a psychic. It's just or like you know, when, when she's when she's a nun in uh, in Sister Act. It's silly. It's really silly. Oh, like you know, and also like things obviously like in Star Trek. It's like, oh, that's weird. You got nineties uh, film star Whoopi Goldberg in this spaceship, <laughs> um, <laughs> even though she's like playing a character. But it's like, mm, is she? Yeah. So I, I, th- I think that's the, this kind of figure of like an entertainment culture thing, or some sort of someone who embraces that and just goes along with it. Or... I saw her also as like an um, as a way to contrast with the like pretentious art world that she so disdains yeah. where she's That's in this point. gallery and you know um there's some really she describes some excellent 
um, art pieces <laughs> where there's this guy who like does dog taxidermy and then puts lasers in their eyes and <laughs> Mm. It's just very, um, she she describes the artist and his kind of career track and how he's just, um, I forget his name. Ping Shi. Thank you. Um, he's sort of the star of the gallery where she's working at the start of the book. Because um, masculinity is in right now. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag toxic masculinity. Um, yeah, and and he kind of represents the the person who's able to He's smart enough to know what the art world, exactly what the art world wants um, and to just like provide that, but not really. Um, I mean, yeah. she obviously thinks it's like vacuous and and that kind of thing. And then she goes into her apartment and kind of just loads up on Harrison Ford and Whoopi Goldberg and <laughs> um, these very, I guess what you would call maybe trashier or at least lowbrow or um, Uh, lowbrow films. Yeah, but she's so intense on making sure she has her VHS tapes to watch because when her VHS player breaks and she has to watch TV, she's almost disgusted with the prospect of Ugh. that. But she does order stuff of TV shop. Yeah. <laughs> I think the TV was like, there was a lot of news and this kind of thing she didn't want to watch. Yeah. So, I, yeah, that's how, what I read from it because I'm also not familiar with Whoopi Goldberg or that which she may or may not represent specifically <laughs> in this book. Yeah, um, just like a, a, a random list of films. So she keeps listing the films she watches because she watches yeah. them in batches. So we've got The Bodyguard, The Mighty Ducks, The Karate Kid Part 3, Bullets Over Broadway, Emma. But, yeah, it's like just it was also a time when like you would just have to buy these things to watch and then like they were yours and you watch them again and again yeah. because they were yours that you had and that was they're yeah. exactly the films that you would find in yeah. that bin yeah. at like your local grocery store for two yeah. dollars or whatever i'm interested in this theme that runs throughout the book of transformation like this woman wants to be reborn right, right? and that's what she does like the whole plan is to be reborn and she says that several times and in the end she is somehow sort of reborn but this whole theme of transformation I mean that was in the vegetarian too that we read um, and in you too can have a body like mine yeah. that was yeah. very present as well yeah. um, what's up with these younger female authors yeah. and this whole theme of like escapism and transformation and and what's up with it being Han Kang being the only one that really gets it out of that group What do you mean? Um, Speak on it. I think it's like that's a much more successful attempt at doing exactly what this book is trying to do. Or like it's like this one is like a, a greenness. It felt like, oh, it's tame vegetarian. Okay. Uh huh. Like it felt like um, that sort of retreat, that rejection thing. Mm. And then you feel the way in which that, that for Hang Kang was like, okay, let's literally, let's follow this. Oh. Let's see what that concept implies. Yeah. Let's. Let's take that to the places we don't necessarily want, think we want to be, and let's investigate the depths of this. Whereas I think, um, like either, I mean, I think because there's a certain distance between the writer and the character, like the writer doesn't particularly like this character. She mm. doesn't think she's a heroic person. Yeah. Um, so this character is in my year of rest. Yeah, in my rest. Right. Yeah, is um, is 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 just like kind of milk toast about this like doesn't 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 take it all the way like is doing this yeah but i mean the, in the vegetarian 
I can't remember her name, but she, I, she hardly speaks. And yeah, it's told through her husband's perspective and then her brother-in-law mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. her sister, right? Yeah. And she says very few words yeah. in that book. It's just consequence and yeah. mm-hmm. acts, acting consequence. Yeah. Um, yeah, and but she ultimately this. isn't necessarily free. Well, it, it depends on how you read the story. I think they're both women rebelling against a world that they're uncomfortable mm-hmm. in and that they've been placed in a role that they're uncomfortable in and are, well, it's arguable um, that the vegetarian, but I, w- I read it as also kind of a form of self-destruction yeah. as a way of liberation. Uh, certainly, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, 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 yeah. I think... And they're very similar in that way, actually. Yes, and that's what I also mean is like, I don't even think that, I don't even think this protagonist is fully aware of what, the process would require of her. I think the the I think there's a I think there's a certain naivety to a notion of transgression yeah. and rebirth. And she's still yeah. playing around with it, right? She's yeah. not that serious. I mean, when she comes out of her sleep, she still wants to be thin and pretty, right? Where yeah. the vegetarian, she yeah. doesn't give a shit. She wants yeah. to be a tree, and that's what she's going to do. <laughs> yeah. Oh, but I mean, I also think like it, it's that, that thing that um, it's this sort of delusion of a of a not delusion. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, to use um, uh, Moshveig's own term, this is a, a delusional creative project is is how she put um, what goes on with this character. And I think the delusion is that you can retain all the things you like in a, in a total transformation. Mm-hmm. And yeah. But that's also because, yeah, I don't know. I think this reads differently in some way. Or I think here, like, the theme is more depression than it is in The Vegetarian. That's something entirely different. I mean, still mm. the transformation and the want of that. But here it's like, she says at one point, my hibernation was self-preservational. Mm. I thought that it was going to save my life. Mm. Um, and is this self, she curls yeah. into a little ball in order to protect the self, which is what I think depression yeah, is all about, yeah, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's still like affirmational and like it's almost, it's the it's the hibernation or maybe like the kind of the, the transformation of like a butterfly kind of thing. Like mm-hmm. I was this, it, it's which is very sort of capitalist. Like I'm going to, I'm going to process this and I'm going to come out better and stronger than before. Like I've got my damage, but my damage is something I can, uh, if I process it appropriately, I can, I can capitalize on it and become more. Mm, yeah. Um, I thought like the ending though with her actually succeeding in the project was kind of like a rebellion against our expectations in that sense. Or that, I don't know, at least I I have like, I both hate and <laughs> and like the ending for that mm. reason. Um, because it it also, it doesn't really make any sense. I mean, in that sense, it's it does go against traditional narrative of like character growth. Uh, because I think the reason the ending is frustrating is that you feel like like she was able she was able to buy this mm. regeneration, but it's not mm. really realistic. So it feels almost more like a like a metaphor, but I'm not sure what it's what it is for. You know, mm. I think yeah, the, the metaphor works on the level that this is a way of engaging with the world that is very. It's like very particular and like very um, like rarefied. Um, like if, like the feeling of wanting to retreat from all of it is very universal, I think. But I think, yeah, to take that feeling and then make that the basis of what should be done is 
I don't know. But don't we all need to kind of uh, back off from fulfilling expectations and and being mm. and you know and productivity and all of these mm. things that uh, Riva keeps coming uh, to advocate? Yeah, but I think the thing is, I think it, when it becomes this, it's hard to articulate this, but it's, it's like if if it becomes something about uh, a total transformation or a um a, a way to transcend or get to another level. Mm-hmm. And it's not about like an actual ethical negotiation with like what you're going to prioritize, what you're going to focus on, what is uh, important to do, what's not important to do, what should you like. If you don't do that work of sorting and like finding a position within the sourcing of things, to me it's kind of like um, it. Like it's also I keep referring to her, but I think it's very relevant. Um, Audrey Woolen, who has this sad girl theory, where she talks about. Um, sadness as a more rebellious or like active um, emotional state than maybe it has been thought of in the past. And she kind of tries to um, reformulate the history of of women um, and political protest in that way. Mm. Um, And she also talks about, um, Audrey Willett, and she also talks about the danger of I mean you have this culture right now where people are really trying to um, advocate for like self-love and self-care and and um, taking care of yourself and and feeling good through that but she's very skeptical of that culture at the same time because she thinks it places a lot of pressure on uh, women to always be um, well first of all yeah responsible for Mm. Uh, constantly trying to heal and constantly trying to feel better and feel good when there's other responses to um, to sadness and to, and to not feeling good, um, and that's that came to mind for me as well as a yeah. I think that's certainly really relevant. I think that's then I think the question is like why this book has narr- like narrator is kind of problematic is that um, she appears to be inactive. But like from the perspective of say something like capital, which is the same thing that makes that kind of self care culture go round, she's incredibly active because she's buying and selling property, and she's <laughs> buying and selling commodities all the time, and she's paying rent, and she's like, she's totally able like to like derive that kind of force and energy, and that is what allows things to happen. So like her inactivity is like being, is like supplemented by all of this other activity. I mean, there's this part where I think she's talking to Tuttle. I can't remember. There's a couple moments. There's one where she spots like a book in Tuttle's office that's about, um, I forget the word for it, about playing dead. <laughs> oh, yeah. That animals do. Possum, possum, yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, which I thought was funny. And then there's a moment where she has a conversation um, and Z, oh, I think she's remembering an ex-boyfriend who used to mansplain her or she was thinking of a, a hypothetical scenario in which that boyfriend would mansplain her um, <laughs> about Zeno's paradox. And, um, uh, and I think that's exactly like what you're saying as well. Like this idea of like being, of achieving through contradiction, yeah. uh, I guess. Yeah. Achieving activity through inactivity or being able to be, yeah, be, re- being reborn through self-destruction and this kind of. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. I yeah. No, no, uh, uh, yeah, and I'm just trying to think like, how we tie this back to like the discussion we were having about the vegetarian because I think oh yeah because um... I because th- I, I think that I think they're interesting to read together because I think that the sensibility 
I would like to think more in more detail about that. Yeah. yeah. But we also never get like the... We don't get what the vegetarian is thinking while she does it. Yeah, and it true. seems so much more destructive and she seems so like so like more of a force mm. because we don't know what's behind this yeah. uh, and we don't know her motivations yeah. and I mean here everything is explained right and she's it's a little bit like like a teenager yeah. who's yeah, I think that's also like the. I think that's actually really important because I think. So that we yeah we read. I think I read at least a lot into the vegetarian. Um, oh, I, I, I you have to do that. Well, mm-hmm. yeah, but then I also read like that. You know, the desire to be utterly transformed from what you are is mm. not something that people who are like what you are can comprehend. Mm. I think that's something that like it's a sensation which isn't which doesn't doesn't cohere clearly in language and has to be mediated through people looking at this thing and it appears like violence and it appears like mm-hmm. utter destruction. And it's also interesting because these two women are coming for something different or at least, I mean, our nameless narrator here is beautiful, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, we, we stated that. Yeah, yeah, we yeah, know yeah, this yeah, 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 yeah. now. <laughs> um, and rich and everything. But the vegetarian is always being described as not very good looking, like very mediocre, possibly mm. a little below mediocre mm. and a little shabby and like it would just be nice if she like made more in an effort <laughs> and blah, blah, blah. But she doesn't want to be pretty. She wants to be something completely else. Like she's just fucking right. kickboxing herself out of the wheel of samsara yeah. into like a fucking tree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think that... Yeah, that's an interesting distinction. I think I think someone should definitely write a paper about the differences and like, and and what they might say. Because <laughs> I think yeah. yeah, the character's superficiality in this book definitely makes her less heroic. <laughs> I mean, and 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 very hypocritical because she's so mean about her friend who. Mm. I think Riva, I really wish I could have. I would love to read something from Riva's perspective, actually. Maybe that's an unpopular opinion, but... I think a shorter book. No, (laughs) maybe a shorter book. Um, I liked Riva. I mean, I didn't think she was more of a mess than, like, most other people. Uh, She was just being described in a really, like, unsympathetic way. Um, Mm. I don't think she needs to get 9-11. You don't think what? She needs to get 9-11. It wasn't like that was... (laughs) That that was unnecessary. That wasn't like the dramatic tension was like... Mm. No fair, as Riva would say. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. I think she, I mean, I think that's like a very, I think where there's maybe some strength there is the subtlety of, um, you know, someone who feels like they fit in this world and it's all bullshit versus someone who would desperately like to be able to be considered normal within a space that this other person considers bullshit and, you know, can't quite because they're from a slightly different background. Um, And so, you know, tries... In, to an insufferable degree to be okay in the eyes of people who are worthless, but she values over, overly highly. Which is like, just tragic, really, Reva's whole story. I have a question. Good. Uh, <laughs> did she kill her mother? <laughs> because I think she did. Because there, there is that sort of like, is it fake? Is it not fake? Confession on, I think, page 200. And I'm saying, I think, I know. This is on page 234. 
Where, like, Dr. Tuttle asked her for the tenth time, so how mm. is your mom? And for the tenth time, she answers, well, my mom is dead. And Dr. Tuttle again goes, oh, how did she die? And she doesn't want to explain again that the mother committed suicide, so she just says, I killed her. And then Dr. Tuttle is like, yeah, I suspected as much. Or something like that. <laughs> and then this time she says that she crushed this uh, sleeping pills into the mother's vodka. And then, then that just stands there for a while. And mm. I wasn't sure if this was just because she, like, she, she wanted the shock effects um, to see if Dr. Tuttle would react or not. Or if this is actually when she comes clean and admits that the mother she hated Uh, she also killed after her father had died and her mother had treated him like a dog uh, while he died. And I kind of think that maybe she did kill her mother and that also explains, I mean, lots of things would other also explain why she wants to be reborn, but this would definitely explain the need for a new spirit and being reborn and starting over and getting rid of all this stuff and cleaning out. But then it never goes back to that. So, yeah. I mean, who knows? I, mean, I just like the... I mean, it's got that American psycho ambiguity to it, mm-hmm. which is really nice. Like, did like you know, did Patrick Bateman do anything at all or did he just uh, imagine he'd like to have? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when, when you have the, you know, the, the non-reaction of confessions, like literally the same kind of thing happens at about the same point in a book, I think, by someone else who has an MFA. Um, Barry Snellis and and I, where he's like you know has this moment of confession and he says, "I killed this person." You can find these bodies here on the phone, and then nothing right. happens the next mm-hmm. morning. And similarly, she tells Doctor Tuttle, and then nothing happens. Mm-hmm. And that, yeah, maybe that's just what New York does to people. I mean, I think she's depressed, but I'm not sure if I think she's a psychopath. And also, mm-hmm. I th- and also, I think that similarly, there's another framing of it where like. I think either just before or just after that scene you're describing when uh, Reva's stolen all of the um, pills from her apartment. She wondered to herself, maybe I should have done that with my mother, taken all the pills away. Mm. And then she couldn't have, would she be dead now if I'd taken them all away? Does he say that? Yeah. Okay, I couldn't, I didn't remember that. Okay, fine. So there's maybe like, not. So, but I think that that's the range of things. Is like, but do you think she really goes to Reva, or is that like a blackout and she imagines it? Because that, okay, no, she probably does. I don't know. She is this very is unreliable. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you don't really know what to trust and what not to trust yeah. in terms of her descriptions and things. Which makes a certain stylistic problem of the novel all the way through because it's written in the past tense and yet her reflective capacities are zero. Zero. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. She she is a bitch to Reva and then just blames Reva for it, basically. And mm. that doesn't reflect on like, oh, I've changed after my process. Um, right, there's no self-critical. like critical. No. But there is because she does say, I thought life would be more tolerable if my brain were slower to condemn the world around me. So, I mean, she knows. Yeah. yeah. But she, like, I mean, she yeah. doesn't try. Yeah. But she knows. <laughs> she, she also, yeah, I think at one point she says, like, irritation is, uh, is the emotion that I know uh, best. And, like, mm. that was the first moment of, like, self-reflective yeah. that I remember standing yeah. out. Um that that uh, oh I was good at irritation um, I think is what she says mm-hmm. and that's when she's having I think in general her most revealing moments when she's lying in the bed at uh, she accidentally uh, attends Riva's mother's funeral uh, in a blackout 
and um, goes to take a nap in her in oh, Riva's God. childhood yeah. bedroom. Um, she treats Riva like a fucking dog. <laughs> she oh. Oh, yeah. And while trying to fall asleep, but for once not having access to the drugs she normally uses, she actually starts to... That's when we get to learn about her past, I think, more, because she mm. starts to describe um, her parents. And it starts to explain why she's so fucked up. And she does reveal in that moment that, that clearly she knows that she is traumatized by that. Mm. Um, but yeah, like you said, it's not like she tries to do anything about it. Yeah, and also I don't know if I can like properly believe her interpretations of her parents either because mm. like why would I believe that versus anything else she's kind of interpreting to me. It's like... It's like psychology 101, yeah. like my... <laughs> my mom ruined me. It's mm. not my fault. <laughs> like my father was distant and my mother was abusive. And now look at me. I'm sleeping all the time. But she doesn't necessarily seem like full of self-pity for the amount of irritation she has towards the world. But maybe that depends on how you... Nah. <laughs> I mean, not explicitly so, but I mean, she grants herself a really long line in terms of like, I yeah. would say yes. Yes, that's fair. That's that's fair. I mean, she clearly believes that she deserves. She looks out for number one. Yeah. She, <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> She's not a very good friend. No. So uh, let's do a little round now to close off this this podcast. Uh, Ebba, would you recommend this book? Oh yeah, I have recommended this book. I uh. like forced <laughs> someone to buy it already recently. So yes. Effective use of the past tense there. Um, <laughs> Gio, how about you? Yes, I gave my, I think I read, yeah, I gave it to my roommate for Christmas. So, I mean, I haven't recommended it as much as I've just given it away, but I didn't give <laughs> my copy away. <laughs> I bought a new one and I gave it. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think I would also. Um, <laughs> but I'm not I just going to. <laughs> I just don't know, like, <laughs> I think, I think like. I mean, it's not Jonathan Franzen, is it? No, it's not Jonathan <laughs> Franzen. Like a, a really good story. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> like, like one where like the characters have arcs and they properly grow like mm. through incremental changes. Oh, I love no, that shit. No, it's a dramatic change after four months of sleep. It's great. Um, mm. No, I think what I think is, it's it's an easy book to read wrong. Yes, I think you can read it as like an actual transformation and that being a valid thing and that you could just. Uh, if you could just unclutter yourself in a kind of Mary Kondo sort of way, finally you'll be you'll be free. Does it spark joy? <laughs> I have Mary Kondo in my notes <laughs> as well, like angrily written, like <laughs> carved so, into my notebook. <laughs> yeah, I think I think it's good. I think it's well written. Um, I think that the I think like um, the other book we referenced before, the um, uh, you took a body like mine. The vegetarian. Pres no, no, no. You talk oh. about like mine, like the presence of the uh, the masters and fine arts that is available mm. in creative writing, <clears throat> is is evident in the coherent and abundantly yeah, clear like structure. Yes, like, mm. which like it makes it read really well. Um, but I just would like to be confused more. Mm. But it's good. Mm? Yeah. But interesting um, request. <laughs> I want. I want to be. I want to hurt a bit, and this didn't really. Uh, really? Oh, this! I was so upset when I was reading this. Uh, yeah, I mean it's funny, but 
It's the kind of book that when you like put it down in between. Okay, now I'm just gonna restart the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, yeah. I mean, Hi, I'm Eva. Yeah. <laughs> Hi, I'm not done yet. No, maybe, I'm done. Maybe it's like there's the particular chart, like course this uh, podcast has ta- charted over the years, through like uh, Bataille and into uh, Frida Jelinek and stuff like that, mm-hmm. where I'm like, I need something a little stronger. Yeah, because like I read you the- galvanized now. You need something wilder and wilder yeah, and so more jaded. shocking yeah. to get yeah. you off. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, well, I mean, after you got the story, the necrophiliac, I was yeah. completely broken. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> uh, anyway. Nothing sparks joy anymore. So uh, <laughs> not after the necrophiliac. <laughs> well, only very particular things spark joy after that one. <laughs> I can only watch movies now. Really. <laughs> so, Gia, what are we gonna do next month? Next month we are gonna do, I have to, what is she called? She's called Kristen Rupinian, and we're gonna do our first short stories, and they're called, you know you want this, and this is the woman who published the short story called Cat Person in the New Yorker, I believe, last year, or the year before, uh, (laughs) within the last couple of years, (laughs) and it's, I think it's the most read, it went viral, it became the most read short story of the New Yorker ever, and I also think she got the highest advance payment from a publisher. 1.2 million dollars. 1.2 million dollars. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I don't even know if that's a lot of money. Um, I mean, uh, after, a, after a certain amount, it's like, ah. I would spend it really fast. Um, <laughs> You would so go into hibernation. We are gonna read that. I would go to fucking Bali. <laughs> I don't know what I would do there. But then, I mean, I could afford the plane home again. Um, so yeah, join us next month for uncomfortable conversations about cat person and the patriarchy. Yeah, it's good because because <laughs> was recently declared all that was wrong with patriarchy. Yeah, but I was also recently declared too feminist to function and I could say no I have it on paper that I am everything that's wrong with the patriarchy <laughs> and it's binary logic who, who called you too feminist to function Jacob from theology oh. mm. <laughs> hope you're listening Jacob yeah. leave it in <laughs> 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 cheers <laughs> <laughs>